Hello, and welcome to We Are Christians with Giovanni Correas. Giovanni Correas serves as campus pastor and Bible teacher at the Christian Academy in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania. If you'd like to learn more about the Christian Academy, please visit our website at tca-pa.org. This podcast exists to be a source of biblical encouragement to students, faculty, staff, family, alumni, and friends worldwide. We pray this podcast becomes a means of grace in your life. Follow us on whatever platform you're listening from so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. All right, hi, and welcome to this episode of We Are Christians. My guest today is Pastor Matt Foreman. Mr. Foreman is the pastor at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Media. He's also a school board member, and he is a native of the great state of Georgia, Mm -hmm. the Peach State, where I lived with my family for 12 and a half years before moving here. So, Pastor Foreman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We are so glad that you are here. So, for people who are listening who aren't familiar with you, would you just tell us briefly how you got to be involved with TCA? Sure. Um, so, we, my wife and I moved to Philadelphia in 1999 and became part of our church in media. And the church in media has always had a long connection with TCA. So, uh, numerous people in our church have either been teachers or students um, over the years so uh, I got connected pretty pretty early invited in at times to guest teach a class or you know be a, a you know um, speaker in chapel um, spent several years doing a, being a panelist for senior speeches um, so I got to grill the students on questions <laughs> and um, and then uh, yeah, uh, and then a year ago was asked to consider being on the board and uh, prayed about it, and God moved that direction, and so... Wow. Yeah. All right, so you've had... Oh, and then I should years. say I have... Uh, my my Two of my daughters have been here, so one graduated last year, one's graduating this year, and then I've got two more kids who will be coming into TCA starting next year and a couple years after. So. Wow. Wow, so you're you're really involved with TCA and have been now for a number of years there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's really interesting to, interesting to know. Um, a few weeks ago, we attempted to do a Q&A session, and I invited you to be a part of the panelists, and uh, we were not able to get through many questions. In fact, we only got to three or four questions. And that led me to think, okay, how can we answer the questions that the students have submitted? And there were quite a number of questions. And so that's why we are recording this third episode now of answering Bible questions for our students uh, who have submitted them. So let's just get right into it and answer as many of them as we can. Okay. All right. So these questions all uh, seem to be uh, revolving around sin and around uh, the Bible and having to understand how to understand certain passages of the Bible. So I'll just um, begin with this question here. What is the shortest book in the Bible? The shortest book in the Bible is uh, probably... Second or third John? I'm thinking about it. I don't know. I haven't thought deeply. Yeah, it's probably second or third John. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, you're, you know, I was thinking about Philemon, but second or third John is definitely shorter. Um, I wonder, what, you know, that, that why they were interested in in knowing this the answer to this question. If, if, if they want to know, how can I read a book really fast? <laughs> 
<laughs> and say, I've done it. I've read a whole I've read book. A book of the Bible. <laughs> How many books did Paul write? And which ones have the most significance? Well, that's, that's a, a question that probably depends a little bit on your circumstances. Because mm. the Bible speaks to a lot of different circumstances. And we believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, that's what Paul says. All scripture is breathed out by God. So I wouldn't want to say that one is more significant than another, but um, certainly different books uh, give you different perspectives on on circumstances. So Paul wrote uh, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, um, and uh, you know Romans, of course, would be the 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 magisterium, you know, big book of theology that you know kind of would people would say if you're looking for New Testament theology comprehensively, uh, Romans in the first eleven chapters gives you uh, a real big picture of the gospel and how to understand. The theology of the whole Bible, and and then chapters 12 through 16, I get a lot more into the practical application, and that's what Paul does in several of his books. He starts out with a lot of uh, doctrine theology, and then moves to to application. My f- personal favorite book is Ephesians, um, because it's like it's uh, a lot like Romans. First three chapters is a doctrine, second three chapters is is application, but it really just shows the beauty of the church and the beauty of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, I, I think the beautiful thing is that you're right, in all of his books and all of his letters, he always, at the end, gets to practical application, like how do you apply this in yeah. your Christian walk? And and we need that. Right, yeah. But he always begins with the gospel. Before he says, these are the things you got to do, Yeah. he says, these are the things that are true of Christians. You know, and it's really easy for people to think the Bible is a book of, how, of things you got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about things about what God has done yeah. before it's about things you got to do. Mm-hmm. Because of what God has done, because of the work God has done, here's, you know, Paul says in Romans 12, therefore, by the mercies of God, by these amazing things God has done, mm-hmm. here's what your life should look like. Offer your, your life as a sacrifice to God. Yeah, yeah, amen. Which uh, version of the Bible is the best to read, this student is asking, and the best to understand. Hmm. Um, well, I would say there's a lot of good Bible translations out there, and they're all very, very accurate, very readable, I think understandable. Um, you know, I personally use the English Standard Version, but I wouldn't say that's the one everybody has to use. I think I use the English Standard because it tries to... Um, to translate uh, things accurately without making decisions for you, meaning there's some things in the in the Hebrew and the Greek that are that are left vague, and then some translations mm-hmm. try to make that a little bit clearer than maybe it is in the Hebrew and Greek, which maybe they're making good decisions and mm-hmm. making it more readable. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're teaching and you're wanting to know, okay, as a pastor preaching to other people. I think it's a reliable translation. I would say the NIV, if you can get the the old uh, the the old NIV, um, 
is still probably the easiest to read in English. Mm-hmm. If you're just starting out reading the Bible, that's that's very easy. It, do you think I've heard that it's the most popular version worldwide? Do you think that's true? Have you heard that before probably, about the yeah. NIV? It's been around for 50 years, and and it was very very modern, up to date, very mm-hmm. readable translation. Yeah, so that I guess that that answers this other question that says which Bible translation, which English Bible translation would you use for personal use? So you you use the ESV. I use the ESV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I I don't say that that's what everybody has to use. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I tell people a lot of people love the King James because of the poetry of it, and yeah, you know, and that's been used for several hundred years. So, um, yeah. and they're they're all very 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 accurate. Yeah. Amen. So, is is the Bible, let's go to this question here, is the Bible full of errors? And I'm sure you've heard this many times in, in your ministry and in your in your uh, walk with the Lord even before you got into ministry. Is the Bible full of errors and contradictions? And if so, what are they and can they be cleared up? That's a pretty broad question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say I don't believe that there are uh, there are errors in the Bible. Um, the Bible is completely accurate in what it intends to say. So some people try to read more into certain things than I think the Bible intended to say, and so they try to make those things contradictions and, and errors. Like there might be places in the Old Testament where they cite, you know, some number, you know, like 100,000 soldiers. And maybe they're doing a round number. Mm-hmm. And then some other text, you know, that's parallel might give a slightly different number. But the, the point is not that that's a contradiction. It's that it's accurate in what it intended to say. Yeah. Um, and those are, are pretty small things. Um, I think the, the other thing you have to, to realize is that there are... There are rules to interpreting the Bible, like book rules of interpreting any book of literature. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can take a sentence out of its context that meant one thing in its context and try to make it sound like a contradiction from someplace else, but mm-hmm. you're you're kind of taking it out of what it was meant to say. Yeah. And so, any verse of the Bible needs to be understood in in its context where it's written. You know, like I might say a sentence in discussing one subject. That, you know, somebody could, you know, this happens all the time in the news. People take people's words out of context and oh, make yeah. them say things they don't <laughs> want them to say. So you've got to read something in what it originally, what its original context was in its setting in the book, in the whole book as a whole. And then to compare scripture with scripture. I mean, we believe that men w- wrote the Bible from their own perspective and time, but ultimately God wrote the Bible. He inspired these men so that what they wrote was what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so the whole Bible is God's written word. And so there are places where there might be something less clear. What does that actually mean? But there's another place of the Bible that makes that more clear. Mm-hmm. So you read something in context, but you also read it in the context of the whole Bible. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think about, for example, a passage, um, if I'm not mistaken, where Jesus comes to Jericho. And uh, I think this is the encounter with Zacchaeus. And in one of the Gospels, it says he was entering Jericho. In the other, pas- in the other Gospel, it says he was leaving okay, Jericho. Yeah. And, and so how would you explain um, something like that? Yeah, so um, I've actually studied that, that passage. And what people may miss 
there's also some some relevance of historical context. Mm-hmm. So um, historians will will point out that there were actually two Jerichos. There was a, an old ruined Jericho, and there was a new rebuilt Jericho. Yeah. And so, w- which which was it? When he was entering, was he entering the the outskirts of the old Jericho? Was he leaving the the, the new Jericho? Mm-hmm. Um, I think those kinds of things are are probably best explained by by looking at some of the historical context. Mm-hmm. And and yet, people try to make that as this big deal contradiction. Yeah. And, but in reality, when you really think about it, it doesn't change any of the, the meaning or the power or the, 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 real imp, you know, the real implication of what that was saying. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it, it makes me also think about the fact that when somebody comes to something like this and they just want to throw out the whole Bible because of something that could be explained, what's really the, the reason that they want to cast doubt on the Bible? Like what? What is it that really is trying to motivate this person to just say no? I'm going to use this as a as as a evidence, quote unquote, of why I'm just going to toss out the whole Bible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we have to look at these questions square in the face. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Christians don't ask the hard questions because they're kind of afraid of them. Yeah. And then you grow up and you've never really looked at those things. And then when you start, you know, you go off to a secular university or whatever, and they start trying to shake your faith because that's sadly the world we live in. Um, and, and you've never seen these things before. You've never dealt with these questions. You didn't know how to handle them. And that can shake people, can make them feel betrayed. Like, you know, I wasn't taught these things. Yeah. That can make them cynical. Mm. Um, uh, I would say, first of all, don't be, uh, don't be too scared of those things. Look first at the heart of the message. What, what do I believe about Jesus, about the resurrection? Does this really answer the, the big questions of life as to what's really going wrong in the world and, mm-hmm. and how, um, how the world needs uh, a savior to break into this world? Mm-hmm. And when you get those main questions, then, then go to the, the questions of well, how, how do I fit these things together? How do, how do I look at these difficult, more difficult sections of the Bible? Um, I've been a Christian since college and have now kind of made the, the, the Bible my main book of study for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm a reasonably intelligent person. There's a lot of people who I know who are the most intelligent people I know <laughs> who believe the Bible. Yeah. But I've been studying these things for a, long t- for a long time. And the more I've studied, the more I've been convinced of the truth of the Bible. Yeah. And that the kinds of things that people are you know, focusing in on to make as a big deal contradiction, have answers. Yeah. People, it's not like nobody's ever seen that before. Sometimes it's like you have these, these modern day writers who it's like, nobody's ever pointed out this, but we've been lied to for 2000 years. No, mm. people have seen these things before Yeah, and they haven't been shaken. So what were their, their answers? And then when you see that there are answers, then you have to ask, okay, for those people who've made this their life goal to shake everybody else's faith, is there something deeper going on there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, this next question here says, I'm reading, I'm praying, but I still don't feel stronger in faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that may really go to the heart of um, what a lot of probably students and even maybe some adults are experiencing in their life 
and in their walk with the Lord. And I'm thankful that, that this month of March, we are all uh, in the upper school doing a read your Bible and pray challenge so that we would all get into the word and pray as a matter of being intentional for this month. And hopefully our prayer is that the Lord would um, meet people as they get into the word. So this question is very appropriate for for what we're doing and we're trying to accomplish this month. So how would you answer um, this person who says that they're reading and they're praying, but they still don't feel stronger in their faith? A couple of things. One, keep reading, keep praying. If these, you know, if there is a God and if there is a salvation and if there is a hope for this world, this is the most important question. So you don't want to just slough it off and say, yeah, you know, I'm, it's not an important question. You want to be sure. So keep reading, keep praying. The Bible does say, you know, Jesus says in Matthew uh, 6, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. But you have to search for it. You know, Proverbs 2 says, search for it as for hidden treasures. And if you search deeply, then you'll find the knowledge of God. Um Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, or I think it's in Matthew 6's version, he says, you know, if, uh, if, a, you know, if a son asks a father for a fish, he won't give him a snake. You know, if you ask your father and keep asking, you know, God will give you good things. He will give the Holy Spirit to, to those who ask. So part of it is don't, don't give up, persevere. Um, the, the best things in life take some perseverance. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is it's not a, it's not just about you on your own. Uh, God doesn't want doesn't re, doesn't um, doesn't intend for us to just be figuring out life on our own. Part of the, the what God uses and the power that God uses is in the fellowship of believers in the church. So, um, reading and praying on your own is part of what God uses, but it's also seek out wise Christian people to ask questions of, to ask them to pray for you, uh, be faithful to the church and to hearing the preaching of the church. And, and God uses um, all of these things to really begin to work his spirit into your life. So you're not mm-hmm. alone in pursuing the Lord this way. Amen. Amen. Uh, when I see this question, I automatically am drawn to the word feel that they're using. Um, I'm reading and I'm praying, but I still don't feel stronger in faith. And it makes me think about my own experiences with just kind of being led by my feelings. And um, I remember just growing up thinking, well, I'm going to just pray until I break down crying, because unless I break down crying, I know that God isn't listening to me. And then when I do break down crying, I will feel better about my prayer, and I know that it got answered. And, and that's a completely wrong understanding of prayer. And, um, but that's what I thought when I was a kid. And, um, and so I would pray until I would cry. And sometimes I would even put music on in the background that would make me cry so that I would, you know, get thinking about, you know, certain things and being led by my feelings. Um, it was just a terrible way to, to lead um, my Christian life. And so um, could you speak a little bit into into that part of the of the question here? Um, yeah. Yeah. Our, our feelings are very, uh, you know, we live in a, in a world that says feeling is everything. 
But in reality, we all know that our feelings aren't always trustworthy. Yeah. And I heard a wise man, uh, you know, say many, many years ago. His name was Martin Lloyd Jones. He said, "We do much. We do too much listening to ourselves, and not enough talking to ourselves." <laughs> um, and what he meant, meant is, is we we kind of passively let our thoughts and our feelings carry us along and control us, instead of speaking truth to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And in the Bible, faith. I mean, you know, you, you want your you want your feelings to match your faith, but sometimes that that takes time. Faith is really um, doing what you believe and know to be true, even when your feelings aren't there. You know, you think of a courageous man. Well, you know, we've got we've got people in in Ukraine right now who are who are courageously fighting, but I bet they're scared to mm-hmm. death. But their their courage is, despite their feeling, their their. They're doing what they believe to be right and true. And faith is acting not so much on your, your feelings that are getting carried away with you, but speaking truth to yourself and acting on what you believe. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. We have another question here. That's, I, I think it's kind of along the same lines here. It's, uh, I'm starting to doubt if Jesus is real. What should I do? Good, good question. Um, well, first of all, I, I bet there's a lot of other questions behind that. Mm-hmm. What is going on in, in your life that is, uh, is leading you to that? So look at those questions square in the faith, face. Um, you know, some, sometimes... We have these doubts, but we don't question our own doubts. You know, there's a place for doubting your doubts. Uh, meaning, what is it that's, that's driving me to, to, to doubt? What am I believing instead? Is what I'm believing instead really any firmer than, than Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, but then go back and, and you know, uh, read your Bible um, I, you know, I think it's helpful to, to pick up um, some books by some Christian writers who've helped think through, you know, deep questions. You know, if your questions are historical, you know, people who've looked at, you know, historical proof for the existence of Jesus, uh, for, the, for the belief in the resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, for the belief in the power of the gospel, um, sometimes those things can be, can be helpful to kind of firm up your your faith yeah um and you know the bible comes back to the big issue is do you believe that jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead mm-hmm. and that that uh as, is a gift of god to take away the sins of the world for those who believe in faith you have, have faith um and i think there's there's good answers to those questions um Talk about them. Again, I go back to what I said, said earlier. Don't explore those just on your own. Uh, seek out wise people with the details of those questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's good. That's good. So sometimes we just need to express these doubts and talk to other people about it, and, um, and then they will help us um, along, along the way. It... Um, makes me think about 
John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. And in his circumstances, being in jail, he had doubt uh, that just creeped in, at least for a second. Mm -hmm. And he has to, to ask and send his messengers to Jesus and say, hey, are you the one that we were waiting for? Or should we wait for another? Like, like when I read about that, it's just like, wow, like even he had a moment of doubt and um, and he was reassured. And so it makes me think if he had a moment of doubt, why wouldn't I have a moment of doubt or, you know, someone else um, who like the person who's asking this question here? I, I think of the, the man who the, the disciples um, couldn't. Jesus was away. The disciples couldn't help him. His, his I forget if it was his son or his daughter was oh yeah, was demon possessed. Yeah. And Jesus comes and he you know he says that, you know that this is possible if you believe. And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes, I I want I, I want to believe, but I'm struggling at, at times to believe. That's actually a a good place to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think that uh, that that humility and transparency. Rather than hardening your heart, um, that humility and transparency is part of what God's, God uses to keep you seeking. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I have one final question here to ask. Um, I think we have time for just this one more. This one is, is very specific. It, it has to do with the passage in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. So let me read uh, those verses here. Uh, the verses say, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will be it. So also will it be with this evil generation. So this person is asking, can you help shed some light on this passage? What is it with these seven impure spirits? Good. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus gives this this picture of a. Uh, person's life is like a haunted house Mm. and this unclean spirit is in in the person's life you know there's there's something tormenting him you know and and it's spiritual we you know bible says the spiritual world is real um but then there's some house cleaning that goes on and some type of moral renovation in the person's life the the the, you know the the demon leaves the house is clean but then you know, time goes on, and the spirit says, "I'm going to try to go back, and I'm going to try to go back with reinforcements." Yeah, and he and he comes, and he finds the house swept and clean, but empty. And part of what I think Jesus is is doing in this passage, he, if you look at it in context, he's been talking about the Pharisees, who were very very religious people, um, and he sees the people. He, I think he's. Partly picturing what can sometimes happen in people's life. They get religion for a time. They clean up their their life for a time. But it's not complete. Mm. Um, In Jesus' time, some of the the Pharisees had responded to the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, And they'd liked this kind of moral revival to their life and cleaning up their life. And they got the junk out of their life temporarily. 
But Jesus is saying they never filled it with anything better. The, the, the key point is that they, when the, the demons come back, they find the house is empty. Mm-hmm. Um, so the life is cleaned out, but it's empty. Yeah. Um, the, their heart is not occupied with a, with a greater resident. Mm. And, and Jesus is saying you, you need the Spirit of God to come into your life and fill up your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and fill out your life. And if you're just kind of cleaning up the outside, later on he talks about people who clean up the outside of the cup, but the inside is still dirty and empty. Um, and that, that's temporary. You know, you can temporarily clean up your, your life, but if, if you haven't filled it with something better, then eventually something else is going to come in and take up that space. Yeah. There was an old sermon uh, by a Scottish preacher called The Expulsive Power of a Greater Affection. Mm. And he, he's talking about, and I think he references this, this passage even, that you know, w- w- what will really sustain you yeah. is, is filling up your life with a greater desire yeah. for spiritual things, for God, for Christ. Um, you, you can clean up the outside, but if you don't have something greater filling up your affections, then your affections are eventually going to be taken over by, um, by those unclean and wicked affections. Yeah. So it, it makes me, um, your explanation here, which is awesome, it makes me think about what could it be that maybe some of our students are struggling with, you know, different um, addictions or different um, habits that they've allowed to dominate their lives. They could, if they tried hard enough, they could stop, maybe even for a a significant period of time, with these bad habits or these addictions and maybe put things in place so they can keep it under control. But if they don't fill their lives with a new affection, with a greater affection for a greater love than they have for these addictions and habits, inevitably they're going to come back to those Yeah. To those things is that yeah. is that is that what, what you're trying to say here yeah you know the the verse the dog returns to its vomit yeah one of the questions we did we didn't get to but i'll, I'll bring it up because i think it's related because it's in the same passage there was another question a student asked about the unforgivable sin yeah um and blaspheming the holy spirit and uh, you know it makes me wonder is are you know are are, is, are there some students wondering have i have I committed the unbelievable, you know, uncom- you know, unforgivable sin? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, I've, I've, I've temporarily had a little bit of a revival, but now I'm, I'm worse. Yeah. Um, and and that is something you got to you got to look at because, on one level, I think if you're struggling with that, you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Right. Because the un- part of the unforgivable sin is complete rejection and scorning of Jesus, people who are completely hard-hearted. Mm-hmm. Um, so the unforgivable sin is not, oh, I, I, I'm worried that I've committed the unforgivable sin. Yeah. That's actually a good sign that you're worried about it yeah. because that kind of conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And you're wondering, you know, I, 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 you know, I feel like I'm worse than I am before. And well, may, well, maybe you are, and you do need to feel convicted about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the answer is should be to drive you more and more to to Jesus instead of away from him. Yeah. In despair. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much pastor for 
for your counsel and for your wisdom in answering these questions. So we're going to leave it there. We've run out of time, but thank you so much uh, again for being here with us. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to having you at another episode in the future. Be happy to do it. Yeah, great questions. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and catch us in our next episode next week. Goodbye. Thank you again for listening to We Are Christians with Giovanni Correas. If you have any questions on anything that you heard or would like to speak with Pastor Correas, you may email him at gcoreas at tca-pa.org. Have a great day, and remember, we are Christians.